listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We're going to continue in the book of Luke. Um, We've had a couple weeks off. Um, you'll recall that right after Christmas, uh, Pastor Kevin had asked that I cover Luke chapter 2. So I went all the way through Luke chapter 2. And uh, he, when he called me this week and said, hey, um, I need you if, if you can fill in. Um, uh, Michael's not going to be able to be there. So if you can, if you can um, preach for us, that would be great. And I'm like, absolutely. So he says, um, so I'm going to make it really clear this time. Um, <laughs> uh, take... Where you left off in Luke 3 and just stop wherever you'd like. All right, so I'm someone, I don't get to preach all that much, so I'm going (laughs) to, I might bite off more than I I probably should. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm going to leave him the the hard stuff, all right? So we're going to go to Luke chapter 3. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know that there's, there's a lot of things going on. There's, um, there's medical and, and health things, things going on in our families, um, that cancer word coming in, um, people just looking for peace in a time that is so, uh, it seems so rough right now. But um, I would remind us that it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter um, who's in contr- who is over the governing body. Um, it is God who is still on the throne, and that's where our peace and our hope comes from. So rest assured that regardless of what happens in the future, there'll be in four years, guess what? There's going to be another election. It's going to be the same stuff all over again. So don't worry. Just relax. Relax. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the time we can come into your presence this morning. God, we thank you for the music, Lord, and how it points us to you. And we pray, Lord, this morning for so many um, who are battling um, health issues, um, cancer, um, Lord, those, um, the, the back issues and spasms, Lord, those who are, um, are suffering from separations, and Lord, those who um, are looking for truth in their life, they, they just need some peace. And God, the good news is that you said you would send the Holy Spirit as our comforter. Uh, Lord, in those times where we lose loved ones, um, God, you are our comfort. Uh, you remind us that this is not the end of the story. But God, uh, tomorrow is always just a little ways away. It always feels like one day seems so far away. But God, one day we'll be able to give you all the glory as we all stand around your throne, realizing the fulfilling of everything that you promised. God, help us to live and walk in those things today. Lord, as we uh, uh, attempt to share your word this morning, God, we just pray that you would uh, revelate the mind. Uh, give us the words to say, Lord, open our ears for us to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to receive your message. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 3. Um, you'll recall where we've been. Um, so the beginning of Luke, uh, it talks about how, uh, you'll remember, um, Elizabeth was um, having a child. She was advanced in years, and the and the the angel came to Zachariah and said, "You're going to have a son." And remember, he he muted his mouth because he doubted him. And then, um, but in that person, who was that person that that Elizabeth was having? What's his name? 
Anybody? John the Baptist, right, John. And so, and then, as you know, about six months in, um, Mary comes along, and now she has conceived a son as well. His name's Jesus. And last time we were in, in Luke chapter 2, it talked about um, the birth of Christ and um, the, um, the way that his parents brought him up in the Jewish traditions and customs um, in a religious household to observe the things of God, and they were faithful to make sure that he was brought up in those ways. You remember, um, they, they would go to Jerusalem um, every year, and um, remember Jesus, about 12 years old, stayed behind, and then they lost him, and then they were afraid because they lost God. And, uh, and so they, they finally, they found him, and he was, he was about 12 years old. And then that's the last thing that we know Scripture. I'm sure there are, are tons of things that took place between that point and this point in chapter 3. Why, why were they not recorded? Um, I don't know. I don't know that they were important to the gospel message. Um, I would have certainly been interested in being there and seeing the family, the dynamic, and the family coming up and, and Jesus growing and, and, and realizing uh, the power of God in his life and, and, and all of those things that came along with that. But we get here to chapter 3 where, where we ended in, in 2. Um, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature um, and uh, in favor with God and man. And then we get to chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, it says, In the 15th year... The reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of um, Iteria, Iteria, Trachonitis. I practice those words. I list them. I, I listen to how do you pronounce uh, Iteria and Trachonitis, uh, and the region um, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. That's not Texas, y'all. It's just north of, of Galilee and, and, and Trachonitis. Um, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. We'll stop there for just a moment. One thing I like about Luke, um, Luke spends some time to give us some historical and religious context to understand the landscape of the day and also gives us some point of reference so we can understand when this was taking place. Um, so if, if we look at the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so, so Caesar, we, when you think of Caesar, you often think of what? No, not the salad. Uh, when, when you think of Caesar, you often think of Julius Caesar, right? Um, but C Julius Caesar had a, uh, did not have an heir. And so he had a great nephew, um, Octavius, who he adopted to be his heir. So when we were looking at um, last week, and it says Augustus Caesar, that's Octavius, Julius Caesar's great nephew, who was taken who had taken over the throne and now here we are with another Tiberius Caesar who is now over the Roman Empire by looking and understanding the 15th year so that dates what's taking place right now to around 27 or 28 29 AD it's 
different scholars differ as to what, um, what year exactly this is, but we could probably look to 20 or 29 AD. And then that helps us as we get into the end of this verse. It says Jesus was about 30 years old when he started his ministry. And even that is a point to um, him following to the letter the things that are accepted in the Jewish culture and Jewish customs as appointed by God. So we understand here that this is probably around 27, 28, 29 in that range, um, about the 15th year of the reign. There's some names that you recognize, I'm sure, as we get deeper into Luke, some of these names come back into the scene, um, Pilate being one of them. Caiaphas being one of them. Caiaphas was the, um, the leader of the Sanhedrin who ends up leading the, the trial against Jesus. So here we are with, with, it says Annas and Caiaphas. And so there's people who speculate that those two, um, that, that there's, could, there should be something wrong here because only one high priest is, is, should be in, in office at a time. But when you understand that just very similar to a president and an ex-president, we still call him president. Um, also, what you'll find is that Caiaphas is the son-in-law of Annas. So Annas was a guy who probably called much of the shots at what was going on. Some people call Caiaphas the, the puppet high priest because he often would, um, he, he was, his pulls, his strings were being pulled by somebody else. Uh, and so um, Annas was his father-in-law, and so as his father-in-law steps down out of that, um, out of that role, which, by the way, he got in that role because the Roman emperor appointed him to be high priest in Judea, and that put Judea under Roman rule. So, to get an understanding of what's, what's happening in that environment, Luke gives us an idea of the time frame, who's in power, and what, who the religious leaders were of the time. We see Herod. That's a name you probably recognize. This is not Herod the Great from uh, who, who had asked you know, for Jesus to be killed as a baby. This is not Herod the Great. This is Herod and Philip and, and Licinius, these are sons of Herod the Great. And the reason they're called Tetrarch, Tetrarch basically means the ruler of a quarter. So you'll notice it says Pilate is a governor of Judea. And a Tetrarch is kind of one step below a governor. They're a governor, but they're not seen at the same level as, as a governor. A Tetrarch is a ruler over a fourth of the kingdom. So they basically divided up Herod the Great's section into, into quarters and then assigned them all, okay? This Herod is Herod Antipas. And when we get later in, in Luke, when Jesus goes on trial, Pilate says, he's not mine to judge. He's from Galilee, so I'm going to send him to Herod, Herod Antipas, who was the tetrarch over Galilee, and Herod had some interest in Jesus that we'll learn a little later on in Scripture, okay? But this kind of gives you the idea of the players, and these are the same people that's going to, to have a, play a major part in the ministry and, and the crucifixion of Christ. Now, we're going to focus on John. 
because these are the people that were, were around, but it says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John is now ready to start fulfilling his purpose from, from day one when, when Elizabeth and Zechariah learned that, that they were going to have a baby boy. God intended for John to be the forerunner, for John to be the one to make and pave the way for the Messiah, for Christ to come on board. And so both, all of the, all of the, uh, the Gospels refer to a scripture in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 40. So it goes on to say, as it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, in verse 5 it begins, the voice, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 4, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So these are words that were written um, many, many, many years before. And it was in context there, speaking to the salvation and and the the prophets that would come um, to help deliver the Jewish people. And the Jewish nation was familiar with this word. And John, as he was in the wilderness, and, and one, one thing about Luke I'll say is that he doesn't go into great detail about the ministry of John the Baptist. You read in some other gospels, it tells you a little bit more about him, about what he wore and what he ate. And, and so he, he was coming out. Luke doesn't get, in, get us into all of that. Um, he gets right down to the nitty gritty and says, Paul, uh, or I'm sorry, um, John was coming for a purpose and a fulfilling of the scripture that as one was crying in the wilderness that we need to make way for the for God for the presence of the Lord we need to make way in this verse of scripture i think there's a lot of ways you could take this i i think of um i think of building a road um if anybody ever driven through tennessee and and up through the mountains that way you come down through there, and there's, there's big hills, and there's little hills, and it always freaks me out because they have those runaway truck lanes, you know, that come down. And then I just imagine how scary that is to be in a runaway truck and have to hit one of those because you can't slow down, you can't stop. But, but they do their best to try to make those roads smooth. You go up, you go down, you go through the mountain, Right? Well, what this scripture is telling us, it says that to prepare the way for the Lord, we're going to make his path straight. And every valley filled and every high point, every mountain brought low, that we're going to straighten it out. And the crooked become straight and the rough places level. Sounds like building a road. Um, but it's, it's not just about the geography of Technically, physically, they're not, God's not saying everybody should go out there and start digging up mountains and filling in valleys. But it's about, um, our, what we're lacking in faith and cutting off the things that shouldn't be there. The sin. Fill our faith, reveal our sin and, and knock us low 
so that we can walk a straight and narrow path. The crooked ways are made straight, and we're going to smooth out in preparation for God. And this is what Paul's, basically his message comes along, and he is a, he doesn't pull any punches in his message. But he's speaking with love and truth and hope. So Isaiah says this is what is meant by the message behind, behind John in his role is to preach the coming of the Lord and that we need to prepare ourselves. The Jewish nation should be preparing for themselves for the Messiah. He starts preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's very stark in contrast to really the Jewish custom and beliefs in that I've got sin, I have to go up to Jerusalem once a year and, and bring, my, bring my offering of turtle doves if I'm poor or, or my best spotless lamb if I'm rich so that it can be offered to God as, a, as an atonement sacrifice so that my sins might be pushed forward and not accounted to me. But now John is saying, you must repent of your sin You must repent and change your wicked ways. He sounds a lot like a um, an evangelical preacher as he starts saying, "It's time for you to 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 see yourself for what you are." And as you go before God, that's not good enough. You gotta you gotta address the things that are wrong in your life. You need to repent, repent, repent. Billy Graham used to say that. Repent, repent, repent. He, he tells the, um, the crowd, and if, if you look at some of the other um, gospels, you realize that some of the Pharisees and Sadducees got wind of this dude that come out of the desert wearing nothing but animal skins. He's probably rough-looking, and he's out there preaching that you need to repent and be baptized. And so they, there was um, a, a lot, there was crowds of people who were interested in hearing what he had to say because he started to sound like uh, the Messiah. And so what we see in the book of Luke is that um, he starts his, his message Verse 7, it said, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Now listen to this. I want to ask you um, if today's day and age, you go to church, you sit down, Pastor Kevin gets up here, and he starts talk, calling y'all just a bunch of slithering snakes. You'd probably be like, I ain't going back there. He, he, man, he, he talked really rough to me. That was mean. That hurt my feelings. Um, well, you know, the, the Bible says in the end, end days that people will, um, will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They don't want to endure the truth. And I think, we're, again, we're seeing that. Where there's so many churches and people that don't really want to hear the truth. They just want to hear things that make me feel good. That, that will, that will, so that when I leave here, um, I'm inspired to live my best life. 
But to be honest, we can't live our best life if we're in um, animosity with God. We need somebody to stand up and tell us the truth so that we can, we can get rid of the things that are holding us back spiritually so that we can be in closer relationship with God. We need that. We need that kind of preaching. And John was giving that kind of preaching. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Right? So he's talking Pharisees and, and Sadducees more than likely. Now they've, the religious leaders, they've come out here and they're hearing him. And he's like, you, y'all are a, just a bunch of vipers. Who warned you? Who, who told you you need to come out here and flee from the wrath to come? Who? He didn't wait for an answer. He just goes right on to his next message in that bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Repentance is the central theme that you'll see throughout the book of Luke. You see repent, repent, repent. And repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what we did. When somebody says you need to repent, it's not just about like, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. You know, and so we expect, well, I said I'm sorry. But when you turn around and do the same thing again, that's not repentance. That's being convicted of what you're doing. Repentance is doing it, realizing you're wrong, and turning around and going the other direction, vowing not to do that ever again. It's no good for me to slap you in the face and say, I'm sorry. Uh, I forgive you, brother. I probably deserved that. <laughs> uh, that's in my turn. You deserved it. Um, and then I turn around and slap you with the other hand. How many times did I get away with doing that? John? Just curious. <laughs> How many times did I get around, away with it? Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. All right. I got you trying the Jesus in me. And I do it again. There's not, I, I guarantee you, not very many of us would be willing to just sit down and take that over and over and over again, a slap in the face. And yet, in our, in our sins, in our actions, and in our deeds, we often commit the same things over and over and over again. And it's very similar to a slap in the face of God. To say I repent and just continue to do what you've always done is not repentance. And so John talks about repentance here. And he talks about bearing the fruit of repentance. In other words, you should see a difference. You should see that there's a change in your actions and in your deeds, in your words, and how you relate to people and how you relate to God. He goes on to say, so he knew the Jewish uh, leaders that were there, as he said, you need to bear the fruit of your repentance. And he said, and don't you come to me and say, oh, but I'm a child of Abraham. You see, they had this, this, this ingrained in them that as a child and a descendant of Abraham, that I'm one of the promised people. God loves me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm his child through Abraham, and so he doesn't require that of me. I get it by default. 
Just because of who I am, because of who my ancestors are, he says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. God doesn't need you to be a child of Abraham. There's a change coming in this message Before, it was all about my relationship to God because of what family I was born into. I'm going to step away from this for just a moment because, just to be honest, church people, sometimes we think, oh, I'm okay because of the family that I live in. I mean, mean, my uncle was a pastor. My grandma was a dear saint of God. They brought us up in church. I, I must by default be spiritual because I've, I was raised in church. I know, I know people who will tell you, oh, well, I've never experienced the things of the world because I was raised in church. I was saved as a little child and, and I've never wandered astray. I'm at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, women's meetings, uh, revivals, uh, anything in between. I'm spiritual. But that's what God is warning about here when he says, you, you're not a Christian by your association. You've heard this said. Um, a, a, a person in church is no more a Christian because they're in church than a bicycle is a car because it's in a garage. Right? Just because you're in that space, we can often hide behind a religious exterior. Right, we put on our high priest robes and our garments, and we come to church dignified. But the relationship with God is far from what it should be, because we've not dealt with the things that are um, that are separating us from our God. And he says, "You should have, you should bear the fruit of repentance." He goes on to say, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. In other words, you stand behind your relationship with God because of your lineage. But even at this very moment, the axe is poised and ready to cut down the trees of anything that's not bearing fruit. Even you... Mr. Miss High Priest, Mr. High Priest, um, Mr. Miss Christian, even you. If the tree is not bearing fruit, it'll be it'll be torn down, cut down, and thrown into the fire. Paul's not holding back any punches. He is telling them like it is and asking them to, to address where they are in their relationship. And so, we get into verse 10. The crowds are hearing this, and they start coming to him, and they say, well, uh, then what shall we do? What, what can I do to, to fix this? How, how can I have a better relationship? And he answered them. He said, whoever has two tunics. So a tunic is like an undershirt. It goes under, under their garments. You've got a couple, and you, you know someone who needs one. Give them one of your tunics. We hear that said, that guy will give you the shirt off his back. 
I've never seen anybody actually give somebody a shirt off their back. I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, but, and nobody wants to see me do that either. So that's, that's why I don't do it. You know? <laughs> um, and so he, he, he says, if you've got two, give them that. Oh, and your food too. Whoever has food um, is to do likewise. In other words, look at those around you and stop just looking at yourself. Reveling in your blessings while other people are, are needing to be blessed. It's not good enough to tell somebody who's in need of clothing and need of food to go and be filled. God needs us to be his hands and be his feet. Listen, God can do what God wants to do. God can provide for them. He does. He will. But often he wants to provide for them through you so that you may be blessed beyond the material things, beyond the stuff, so that you can see the riches of God and his provision. That's the message. So, so John reminds them to give, to have a gracious um, giving heart. There's a group of people who will come up repeatedly throughout this book. So I'm going to spend some time here talking about tax collectors. Um, kind of set some, some, um, some groundwork for things that we're going to talk about later in Luke. Um, tax collectors were especially hated. Um, how many of you like the IRS? You, you just wish you'd get a, a phone call from the IRS all the time. This is what I understand about the scam callers who call you telling you that they're, they're the IRS and the call back. Ain't nobody calling back. <laughs> you want to talk to me, come knock on my door, you know. But the IRS and this is the tax collectors. And so especially in that time, the tax collectors were, were seen as sinners. And to the religious um, the religious world of the uh, of that time um, a sinner was basically someone who did not follow the commandments of God it's a really simple way to define it we think of sinners today as someone who who hasn't yet come to Jesus um, and and that's you know but reality um, we're all sinners we all fall short of the glory of God um, and, but the tax collectors in those days was was um, especially despised because of that. And so we have an example here where the tax collectors um, came to John and they say, um, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Is there hope for me? I'm one of the most hated people in the world. Are you telling me that I can experience this repentance you're talking about? And John says, yeah, um, it's, it's not hard Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Mm. See, what, the, what would happen in that time, so the tax collectors were not paid. They weren't on wages. They were, they were Jews who were appointed by the Roman government to go to the Jewish households and collect taxes, collect money to send off to Rome. Now, there's a couple things you got to imagine. Now, they're being occupied by these outsiders who now I have to give my money to send to that, uh, to that organization um, in Rome. 
And they're not building streets here, and they're not paying for our schools. And they're doing, you know, they're they're just getting rich up up there. And and what would happen is the tax collectors were often well to do themselves because they weren't just going in there and saying, oh, um, you know, the tax now Rome says the tax is fifteen percent, and so we'll, we're, we collect our fifteen percent and we'll be on to the next house. That's not what they did. They would go in with scales that were um, uh, were weighted too heavy. Because how they got their pay was skimming off the top. So if they were expected to send $100 to Rome, they were collecting 150 And they were pocketing the other. And Rome was okay with that. As long as they got their 100 you do what you need to do. But you go get the money from the people. And that's what they would do. They would often see somebody walking down the highway and just stop them and say, Oh, you look like you got a bunch of stuff there. I think there's a tax on that. And so you need to pay up. And so they would tax them, and it wasn't fair, and it wasn't right, and it was wrong, and, and they were hated because of it. And so the tax collector says, what can I do? And, and John says, oh, just don't collect any more than you're authorized to. How do you change your actions? Just take what you're supposed to. Don't take more. There's some scriptures um, that talk about these tax collectors. If we go to Proverbs 11.1. 1. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. If I go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 10, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Leviticus 19, verse 35. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. Proverbs 16, 11, A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his works. And finally, Proverbs 20, verse 23, it says, Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. I think God is serious about the scales of justice and making sure that what's fair and what's right comes out in the scales, in the balances, in the measurements. It's important to him. He spent a lot of time putting that out there. And yet, here these, these were Jews, and they knew these scriptures, and they knew what was right. And yet, they went ahead and they did whatever would line their own pockets. I often hear the, the scripture misquoted that says, money is the root of all evil. No, it does not say the money is the root of all evil, folks. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. That's where we go astray. It's when we love the money more than we love people. When we love the stuff more than we love God. It's the love of money. And you see in these folks, tax collectors, where they went a little astray. Uh, they had opportunity. And they had, um, they had permission. Rome said do it. And they did it. But what did God require? What he said is, okay, it's really easy. Just take what's right. We go on, um, and it talks about some soldiers coming to, uh, to him and saying, well, what about us? 
Um, and so, <laughs> what, what shall we do? And the answer was really simple. Don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. In other words, don't abuse your power. And they did. They would stop people on the side of the road and say, Oh, I think I just saw you turn without stopping at that red light. <laughs> and uh, I think that would cost you about $500. I didn't, I, I don't even have a car. There's not even a red light back there. It's still Jesus time. <laughs> Power's not been invented yet. I don't care. I saw a red light. You ran it. That's against the rules. And, so get, and it, didn't have, it did not have to have basis. They would make an accusation, and they would have to pay up. And they would extort them for money. Um, I'll just say this because it just comes to mind. I think we have a lot of, um, of people in our society today who still abuse their power in a very similar way. Um, whether that is in our Congress and Senate and in our White Houses and in our capitals and, um, or um, in our local governments. Um, we, our job is to pray for them. And to provide reminders um, when God puts those folks in our way that we can tell them that they're wrong. It's okay for you to share the word of God with whoever you come in contact with, um, even if it's someone who might be a position of power. Now, it might not work out good for you. You know, when the cop pulls you over and you say, you're a sinner, you need to go to church. And uh, he's going to say, well, I'm going to give you two tickets then. <laughs> um, I don't know. But he... he you, the truth is the truth. Here, John, um, and, and there's a point behind that. I'm not just rambling, I promise. We're gonna, when we get down just a little bit further, he's, he's telling them don't extort uh, people and be content with, um, with the wages that you've given. In verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, they started to think whether he might be the Christ. And so John immediately clears that up. He says, I baptize with water, but there's one who's coming whose strap, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will, bab- I, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John knew what his purpose was. He didn't allow it to go to his head and everybody comes to him, oh, you must be the Messiah. Oh, you must be the Christ. He shut that down right away and said, no, 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 no. I'm just the messenger. I'm the one who's preparing the way to help us prepare our hearts to be ready for the one who's coming, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. The one that I'm baptizing you with water, but when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, There's a big difference between water and the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a big difference. And so he talks about the difference between John's baptism and the Christian baptism. Um, and, and this new, do, new day that was, that was dawning. Um, I'm going to come on down one more, um, a, a couple more verses. There's a lot to cover here. Um, but it's important to get this section all together to understand the, the context of the... Um, the fact that Christ is, is coming and he's preparing the way. Um, he goes on to say, um, I baptize you with water. Mitre, there's one coming who's mitre and nigh. And then in verse uh, 17, he says, winnowing, his winnowing fork is in his hand. 
to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. He gives us the, the image that, that Jesus is going to make a great separation between the fruit and the things that are not, um, um, that should not be or will not be eternal. The things that will go away with fire. A winnowing fork and a threshing floor is where they take wheat and they beat it. And ultimately it's the stalks and all the things that they, they throw up and the wind blows and it separates the, the shaft from, from the seed. God will prepare you for what he's purposed you. Um, John the Baptist was, was purposed to be the forerunner of Christ and to provide that message. And he went in the wilderness, and it says the word of the Lord came to him while he was in the wilderness. God will prepare you for what he's purposed you. I want that to sink into you. Often we, we worry about, well, what's my job? What should I do? What, how, can I, how can I be more of, of, of a, how can I use, use more at church? And how can I be a better, be a better Christian? Just start seeking God's purpose, he will prepare you for what he's purposed you. Also, it's an important thing to remind us. Why I wanted to hit this section is that he will not tip the scales in your favor. Now, I've heard messages before that talks about how God tips the scales. But that goes totally against all these scriptures that I just shared with you. God will not tip, he will not add weight where weight should not be. He is a just God. And because of that, he re- there's things that he, re- he requires. Now, here's the, beautiful, here's the great news. He won't tip the scale in your favor, but you know what he'll do? He will go out of his way to pay the debt for you. He did. I owed my sin debt. It had to be paid. He didn't just tip the scale. He didn't just wipe it away. He paid the price. Whatever a man reaps, that shall he also sow. He won't tip the skills. He paid the debt on our behalf. We get down into the scripture. I didn't get to this at the end, but it talks about how Herod um, put John in prison. Because John preached to him just like he preached to everybody else and pointed out his sin. He fell in love with his brother's wife, Herodias. And John said, that ought not be so, king. So what did Herod do? Put him in prison. He didn't didn't accept the truth. And folks, when you tell people the truth, some will accept it and some people won't. And that's okay. It's important that we do the, what God has called us to do. Reach and teach. It is not our job to do God's job. You reach, you teach. Let God do what God does. Like John, we should recognize our purpose and his position. When they started saying, oh, you must be the Christ. He said, no, that's not my purpose. 
but it's him. The one that comes after me, it's him. Romans 12, 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. I'm going to leave us with this this morning. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. When you need advice, like the tax collector and the, and the soldiers coming saying, this is the life I'm living and people hate me and I, I need some direction. What should I do, God? I think it boils down to this verse. Strive to do what's honorable in the sight of all. Do the right thing. It's not always the easy thing. It's not always the convenient thing. But you should always strive to do what's honorable in the sight of all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for, um, for this time together and for your word. God, there's so much to unpack here. But you remind us that as John came crying as a voice in the wilderness, a voice of truth to prepare the way for Christ to come on the scene and begin his public ministry, preparing the message, repentance um, of fruit, of, of turning from our wicked ways and acknowledging all of our ways, acknowledging him. Lord, this is the message, and I pray that we as a church, Oasis, can be reminded of our purpose to reach and teach, to go out into the highways and the hedges and compelling them to come in and to make disciples of all nations. This is the great commandment. So God, we pray that as we learn more through your words, we walk through the, the book of Luke, help us to see ourselves in the tax collector, ourselves, in the soldiers, ourselves, um, in the light of the truth we see ourselves as we are so we may repent of those things and start walking a new path with your grace and your glory. Thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.